You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Well, it's good to see you. I ask you to please take your Bibles and go to Psalm 56. Or if you don't have a Bible, you can use a device and do that. Or there should be a pew Bible there on the ground next to you. And you can turn to page 501 and you'll discover Psalm 56. Well, we're in our like, fourth sermon on learning to lament. As There's been a lot of suffering and pain and just grief and, and trials in our church in these last few months. We thought it'd be good to discover what does God teach us about lamenting, uh, about remembering gospel hope in the rubble of life. And today, David's lament in Psalm 56 takes us to a really important place. One every single one of us can relate to and find relevant right now. What do I do when I'm afraid? What do I do when I'm afraid? When I'm scared, when I'm, when I'm worried, when I'm panicked? What do you do when you're afraid? David invites us into his thought process on when he is afraid. And we see it in Psalm 56. So as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. And we'll begin in verse one. Beginning in verse one, the Holy Spirit tells us through our brother David, be gracious to me, God, for a man is trampling me. He fights and oppresses me all day long. My adversaries trample me all day for many arrogantly fight against me. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? They twist my words all day long. All their thoughts against me are evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps while they wait to take my life. Will they escape in spite of such sin? God, bring down the nations in your wrath. You yourself have recorded my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will retreat on the day when I call. This I know. God is for me. And God, whose word I praise, and the Lord, whose word I praise, and God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mere humans do to me? I am obligated by vows to you, God. I will make my thank offerings to you, for you rescued me from death. Even my feet from stumbling to walk before God and the light of life. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us. We have so many fears, so many worries, so many unknowns. Lord, help us learn what to do when we are afraid. Help us, King Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. When, when a company has a complaint department, what does that signal to you? Does it make you think, oh, they must be great at customer service. They've opened up a doorway for, to handle my problems. How great is this? No. 
that should signal to you, they get so many complaints, their service is so bad, they have to employ people just to handle your complaints and to handle the weaknesses of their service. A complaint department is not an encouraging thing to see. And beloved, one of the things that I've been worried about in lamenting is we have to remember that lament is not the 1-800 number to God's complaint department. Lamenting is not Christian complaining. It can't be. As the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Philippians, to do everything without complaining. So lamenting can't be a version of Christian complaining. It has to be something totally different. And we have to navigate this because just like every other spiritual discipline and an act of good works, we have the ability to do it wrongly and to do it for wrong motives. We can read the Bible the wrong way. We can read it with the wrong heart. We can pray the wrong way with the wrong heart. We can sing together on Sunday mornings in the wrong way and the wrong heart. And so even in our lamenting, we can do it in the wrong motive. Lamenting and complaining may sound alike at times, but they are different things. Yes, as we said in the first sermon, lamenting is the vocalizations of our grief and our sadness and our pain to God. But remember, it ends with gospel hope. Lamenting isn't just venting. It's catching a vision of God's grace in the rubble of life. But complaining is just a cul-de-sac. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't have any resolution. It's just a pity party, a woe is me, and sometimes even an attack on God. Lamenting voices a lot of things and often sounds similar to complaining, but there's the resolution. So we got to remember, lamenting isn't a license to complain. Lamenting is actually a confession. A confession, not justifications, not I'm right. They're confessions of sin. They're confessions of dependence on God. They're confessions of frustration, of, of being burdened and needing God's grace and mercy, where complaints are just the idolizations of self. I didn't sign up for this. I don't deserve this. How dare you do that to me? Complaints are filled with I, 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 me, 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 where laments round out with God and his mercy and his faithful love. And you, you can really see the distinction here in this, in this little chart. So the first sermon we looked at how, talked about how Lamentations 3 showed us that laments have vocalizations of grief, but then there's a velocity, a quickness to gospel hope, where complaining is just vocalizations of grief, disappointment, sadness, and it never rounds out with gospel hope. There's no hope there. We saw in Psalm 90 the question, can I be happy again? Lament answers, yes, in God. In his faithful love, you can be happy again. And with an eternal joy. Or complaints look for happiness. And yeah, I can be happy again if my situation changes. If I get what I want. The question, Psalm 13, what do I do when the answers don't arrive? When God doesn't answer my questions, what do I do? Lament says, I trust God's faithful love. Complaint, complaint says, keep whining. Keep whining. And today, what do I do when I'm afraid? What happens when fear arises? Look at verse one. Here we see the occasion for fear. Verse one, be gracious to me, God, for a man is trampling me. He fights and oppresses me all day long. My adversaries trample me all day for many arrogantly fight against me. So David is looking back and sees I am being attacked. Uh, they are oppressing me. And this word trampling here 
This is used for an animal that's, that's panting. That's panting and blood thirstiness, ready to attack. What's happening to David here? Well, unlike the Psalm we saw last week, Psalm 13, we don't know the background for Psalm 13, but Psalm 56, we know the background. We know the occasion for this one and you can see it. So look at your Bible. If Psalm 56 and your Bible translation may have a title, this one says a call for God's protection. That's not in the original text. They provided that. But this little smaller print that is in the original manuscripts and look at what it says. For the choir director, remember these are hymns, these are songbooks, according to a silent dove far away. What a great country song that would be. This is obviously, this is some kind of melody that they would have known, saying, sing it according to this melody. We don't know that. But a meekdom of David, now here, here's the context. When the Philistines seized him in Gath. When the Philistines seized him in Gath. David and the Philistines have a long history with one another, and it goes all the way back to David and Goliath. The great Abram's tank of a man, Goliath, that David killed, that he sniped with one stone. And when everyone else was afraid of Goliath, David was not. David went forward and killed him. You fast forward now a little bit in David's life. Now the king of Israel is hunting David down because Saul knows he's going to become king and Saul wants to get rid of David. He wants to rub him out like all good mafia bosses try to do. And now Saul has become unhinged. He's deranged. He's trying to hunt David and kill him. So David's running, running, running. This is all in 1 Samuel. Then David arrives in Gath. He's run so far. Now he's in the country of the Philistines. He's in Gath. And in 1 Samuel says that he goes and tries to find Goliath's sword. I, hey, I want that sword of that guy I killed. How do you think that's going to go? Not well. It's in his hometown, in Goliath's museum. Can I borrow it? The guy says, yeah, sure. Now David's so afraid. He runs to the king of Gath, Achish, and wants help. How do you think that's going to go? Not well. Just listen. First Samuel says, David fled from Saul's presence and went to King Achish of Gath. But Achish's servant said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? Don't they sing about him during their dances? Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. So they're saying, look, this is the guy that's an amazing warrior. Why is he here? David heard this, took it to heart and became very afraid of King Achish of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. He acted like a madman around them, scribbling on the doors of the city gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said, look, you can see the man is crazy. Why did you bring him to me? Do I have a shortage of crazy people that you brought this crazy one around me? Is this one going to come into my house? So David, he's saying, no, I don't want this crazy guy. Get him out of here. So David left Gath took refuge in the cave of Adullam when David's brothers and his father's whole family heard, they went down and joined him there. So David's captured, knows, oh boy, they know who I am. They're gonna kill me. And David's plan is to act like he's crazy. It's just saying all kinds of gibberish. I can only picture a Steve Martin, Martin Short kind of display and just letting his spit run down his tooth beard, acting like he's riding stuff on the city gates. He's acting so crazy. They don't even want to bother with him. Saying, just get this crazy guy out of here. We got, we got enough of you crazies around. Let's move on. Psalm 56 is the inner workings of this moment. Psalm 56, David is giving us a behind the curtain look at what was going on in his heart and mind. And he doesn't credit himself with his escape. He credits God with delivering him. 
I'm guessing David wrote this lament either in the cave of Adullam or later as he reflected on this moment, but this was a serious occasion for fear. He's running from Saul who's trying to kill him, who just threw a spear at him. And now he's captured by a whole country that he's embarrassed, that he's killed their best warrior. Of course they want to kill him too. And what's David's reflex? Yes, he did the insanity thing, but he shows us even more. Verse one, be gracious to me, God, for a man is trampling me. He calls for God's gracious help. God, help me. I need your grace. I need your mercy. They're attacking me. Help me. Now, listen, we don't really have this same context all the time, but we have brothers and sisters all around the world who understand the reality of physical persecution and death. They're meeting in secret now. They met in secret this morning. ISIS patrols their neighborhoods and communities. They whisper their hymns in parts of China so people aren't suspicious. And yet they plow forward in faith. When you are afraid, what is your reflex? When you feel backed into a corner, what is your heart and your mind and your gut's reaction? You hear people say, hey, when we, when we are afraid and we get back into a corner, we either fight or flight. That's true. But there's a third option. Faith. It doesn't rhyme, but it's still an option. The reflex we need in our sufferings, in our grievings, and in our fear is to call on God's gracious help. God, be gracious to me. I I need your help. My boss is awful to me. Help me, Lord. I'm so tempted to sin back and I'm so tempted to fight back. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I don't know what's going to happen with my family. I did some really dumb things and I'm I'm worried. Lord, Lord, what's going to happen with my family because my sibling or my cousin or somebody did something horrible. God, I made a horrible investment move and I... God, help me. There are plenty of occasions for fear in our lives. And listen, some fears are rational. Like you have cancer. I mean, this is not a, that's a serious threat to your life. Some are plausible, legitimate fears. Others are irrational and silly. But here's what we, it doesn't really matter in the moment whether our fears rational or irrational, because in that moment, all fears, they all feel rational. Our irrational fear feels real in the moment. We can't coach ourselves out of, oh, that's just silly, let it go. You know, that little scratch isn't gonna turn into a flesh-eating bacteria, just let it go. That's not, that's not really how it works. We've convinced ourselves in our emotions and our thoughts that this is real. So just telling ourselves, this is silly, stop it, that, that's not gonna do the job. We need something bigger to call on. We need an action, something that we can actually do that will help us when the occasion of fear arrives. What the action we must do is that we must trust. What does David do? Where does he go? What's his reflex? What's his resolve? Verse three, when I am afraid, it's the occasion. I will trust in you. Action. In God, you go Godward whose word I praise. You trust the Bible, trust his promises. And God, I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? 
Do you see the toppling of David's fears already? He begins with, I'm afraid. Then by the end, verse four, I will not be afraid. Resolve, trust, because he trusts in God whose word he praises. This is the reflex we need. Listen, you must do this when you are afraid. What do you normally do when you're afraid? You let the fear roll around in your mind. You chase it like dominoes. If, well, if this happens and this will happen, if this happens and this will happen, if this happens and this will happen, and I don't even have a will yet, what's going to happen to my house? And you have a bad headache. And all of a sudden you've diagnosed yourself and you're getting your will ready. What, what do you do when you're afraid? When the occasion and the occurrence of fear swells in your life, the actions that we must take is trust in the almighty God. This is where we must go. Whether they're rational or irrational fears, it doesn't matter. Because in the moment, they all feel real. This is why we can't trust our feelings more than we trust God. Whose word we praise. I trust you, verse four, and God whose word I praise. So God and his word together meet us and help us in our fears. And this is why you must know God and his word. Faith in God's word meets our fears and handles them for us because we cannot handle them. That's why it's so idiotic when you hear, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's, that's not true. Every single day on this fallen planet is more than we can handle. That's why Jesus says in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. So faith in God handles our fears because we cannot handle them. That's why Jesus says in John 14, I have said these things so my peace will be with you. We need his peace. Whether they're rational or irrational, if you don't call God's word to mind, your fears will win the king of the hill battle in your heart and mind. You ever played king of the hill? I don't know if kids still play king of the hill today. It's a great game. You don't need technology. You, don't need, you just need a little spot of dirt and kids to push over. And you try to win and dominate that spot. Your fears want to dominate your heart and mind. And the satanic powers want to encourage them and discourage you from having faith in Christ. Rational fears, like soldier in a battle, someone startling you at night, ISIS hunting Christians, Trusting God doesn't make us immune to fear. I don't want you to be confused with that. Like, okay, I'm going to trust God and I won't ever fear again. No. Trusting God doesn't make us immune to fear. Trusting God helps us through our fears. What do you fear? Be honest with yourself. What do you fear right now? Sometimes when, I'm, when you're preaching, it turns into a giant biblical counseling session with a few hundred people. Just the way it is sometimes. What do you fear? I'm not talking about snakes and spiders, which we all should fear. <laughs> Especially when they get in your house somehow. What, do you, what are you afraid of happening in your life? Were you, what are you afraid of that's already happening in your life? Lament those fears towards the Lord. Like David, he takes, he has genuine occurrence for fear, but he takes step of, steps of obedience in God and trusts him. This is what we must do as we lament and as we navigate through fears. We trust God and take steps of obedience. Are you 
Are you afraid your marriage is going to fall apart? Take steps of obedience and trust God. Confess your own sins. Grant forgiveness. Don't keep a record of wrongs. Get counseling. Get help. Trust God. What do you do when you're afraid when you fly on an airplane? That you, you send that text message right before it takes off to your spouse. I love you. Heart eyes emoji. Why? Because we're all kind of afraid a little bit. I want my last communication to be one that I definitely love you. Some of us have a more genuine and I don't want to say genuine, a stronger fear, even in moments like that. What do we do? Listen, these verses like this are in the Bible because God cares about those moments. That when you are afraid, God cares. You go Godward, you pray, you voice your concerns and fears and seek his peace, his trust. Listen, I, I did not grow up skiing or doing anything with snow and ice. I'm not built for that kind of stuff. I am a land animal. And a few years back, Natalie's grandparents took a skiing in Montana. And they had been skiing, you know, their whole lives. My first time, I was horrified. I didn't want to do it. Like, oh, I'll make snow angels with the kids. I'm, I'm good. I don't want to hit a tree. I don't want to do all kinds of stuff. And so, I mean, it was so embarrassing. I took lessons. I'm the only adult on the bunny hill holding on with the instructor. He's holding my poles and we're going around. I almost run into a pack of kids. I just got to fall over. And then the day comes when we're going to get on the lift. I mean, I was sweating in below zero environment. I look at this thing. There's no seatbelt, no bars, no safety thingamajigs. And I'm going to be dangling from the top of a mountain. This is not normal thing that humans should do. The instructor managed to get me on the lift and I'm not showing it outwardly because you couldn't see me. I'm covered in all kinds of stuff, but I'm panicking. And listen, I'm not trying to be some super spiritual guy. I am not. I'm just trying to be a really practical guy. If Jesus is Lord of my life, I must trust him in his word. And so must you. If Jesus is Lord of your life, you must trust him and his word. So I started praying Psalm 56 to myself. I had just been memorizing this verse, verse three and four, the week before. So there I am going up this mountain, panicking and just praying, Lord, I'm afraid. When I'm afraid, I trust you in God whose word I pray. So I'm trusting you, Lord. I feel like a doofus. I am embarrassed that I am afraid of this. I should not be. So Lord, just help me. Just grant me peace. Help me now. Help me, God. I trust in you, who's God, whose word I praise. The instructor leaned over. What are you saying? Nothing. (laughs) I'm good. This is how practical Jesus is in our lives. What do you fear? That your job won't work out? Okay, it may not, but it will not be the end of the world. Do you fear that you won't change? That you'll always be this way? That's not true, friend. Because God's word promises that he is conforming you into the image of his son. And one day you will rise again from the dead and you will be like Christ in more ways than one. 
Do you fear not having the approval of others? Not being liked? Realize, you have been accepted by God in Christ. You won't be liked by the world. Who cares? So trust God, live with God in whose word you praise. If you praise his word, if you know his word, you will find your fears can run away and they scurry away faster. You can shoo them away faster by knowing and trusting God. And there's another thing I I fear. I, I just want you to be honest with yourself and with the Lord some point today and just go over the fears that you have. I fear this, fear this. Lord, I'm I'm trusting you. I need your help. I fear as a father. I have to pray about it and trust God, help me. I I don't fear for my children's physical safety, like them getting hurt or or something like that. It's more about their protection from predators. That just worries me. You hear so many stories. Freaks me out. So I have to, of course, we take precautions. We, we are wise with how, what we do with our kids and who they're around. Don't do this. Hey, no one's picking you up from this event. Only me. Don't believe anyone who's coming to get you. Says, oh, I talked to your dad. They're liars. Run away from them. Kick them where you need to and then go. <laughs> but also, we have to trust God and his word we praise and trust them to God. What do you fear? And what are you going to do about it? Do you let it consume you? Let it paralyze you? Letting it keep you from enjoying God's creation? Letting it keep you from doing normal things in life? Look to him and trust him. Because David knows that God is in control. Look at verse 8. David says, You yourself have recorded my wanderings. You know where I am, God. You know what's happening in my life. And now look, look at this phrase. You put my tears in your bottle. Put my tears in your bottle. David knows God's in control. He knows his wanderings. He knows God is sovereign. But this phrase, my tears in your bottle, this is a way of saying, you have saved my tears. Why would you do that? Well, why do people save wine and oil and water when they journey? because it's precious and they, they want to protect it. That's why those wine skins, it's their leather pouches where they would store wine and they would put water and they would put oil because it matters, it's precious. They got to save it. So here David says, you stored my tears because God cares. God cares about David's tears and God cares about yours. God cares about what grieves you. God cares about what you're afraid of. God cares for you. That's why he says in verse nine, then my enemies will retreat on the day when I call. This I know. God is for me. This I know. God is for me. Do you know this? See, this is a statement of trust and resolve. Here he is acting like a madman to Bands of people barreling after him. And David says, this I know, God is for me. I don't know what's going to happen with my enemies, but I know God is for me. I don't know what's going to happen when this plane takes off, but this I know, God is for me. Fear flourishes in the unknown. 
But this I know, God is for me. You have to fight the unknown with the known. This I know, God is for me. It doesn't matter what stage my cancer is. It doesn't matter what happened to my 401k. It doesn't matter what happened. God is for me. I know God is good. And I know God is love. And I know God is for me. Those three truths you must wield to attack your fears. God is good. God is love. And God is for me. Do you know God is for you? It's, you can read it in the Bible, but you got to know it for you. Do you know God is for you? And the gospel gives us the proof that Christ would come down, that God the Son, who's not God Jr., not some kind of diet God, but God himself, and that he would come down and that he would die for me. The worst thing that could happen in your life has already happened to you. You've been crucified with Christ. And the best thing in your life that could ever happen to you has already happened. You've been raised with Christ and now you're seated with him in the heavenly places. So do you know God is for you? Because if God is for you, no one and nothing can be against you. He did not, as Paul says, he did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him give us, grant us everything? Paul says, if Jesus came and lived and died for our sins, is God going to now not be for us? After God, the son dying for us, God, the father giving up his son, now God's going to be against us? No. God's not going to short arm his love now. God's not going to tighten his account of grace. No, God is for us. Who can bring any accusation against God's elect? Who can tell you, no, you're not a Christian? No, you, no you're going to lose your salvation. Who could, bring, who could do that? Paul's saying no one. Because it is God who justifies. It is God who declares you righteous. It is God who says, you are my children by faith. Who is the one who condemns? Could I be cast away and sent into hell? Should you fear, if you know Christ, losing salvation and being tumbled into God's wrath? The Bible says, no. If you know Christ, he is the one who died, but even more, who was raised. And he is also at the right hand, at the Father's right hand, interceding for you. So the question, is God for me? Realize Jesus is sitting right next to the Father for you. Interceding on your behalf with your fears, your worries, your concerns, your sins. He's confessing them. Forgiveness is coming down to you, for, through you, for you. It's amazing to think that right now, the king of the universe has you on his heart and mind. He's interceding for you. Is God for you? Yes. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Sometimes we doubt God's love because of the quality of our lives, what's happening to us. Paul realizes this. That's why he says, can affliction, can suffering, can distress, can panic separate us from the love of God? How about persecution? Can, can ISIS remove us from the love of God? 
What about famine, nakedness, homelessness, danger, a sword? Can these things separate us from the love of God? Can these things convince us that God isn't for me? No, this is why Jesus said in John 16, you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have overcome the world. I have conquered the world. That's why Paul says, no, in all these things, we are now more than conquerors through him who loved us. By his death and by his resurrection, by the one who has overcome the world, he now invites us and calls us. Now you are more than conquerors. That's got to be one of the craziest things I think that we've got to believe. That here we are in all of our weaknesses and all of our frailties and and that we were lactose intolerant. We're, we have all of these like weird like body things that happen to us. We have glasses and our, my back hurts all the time. I'm more than a conqueror. Because this life, what happens on this earth, does not preach to me reality. The gospel preaches eternal realities to us. That now we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul says, and you must be persuaded too, This I know, just like David, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, the known, things to come, the unknown, nor height nor depth nor any other created thing. Paul says, we could go on and on, but because I'm running out of space here on my scroll, I'm just gonna go ahead and say, any other created thing that you wanna bring up? What about this? What about any other created thing? is not able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God is for me in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you know that? You must, you must know that God is for you. He's proven it in Christ. And if you don't, if you don't know his grace, if you don't know his love, if you don't know the cross of Christ, dying for your sins and rising again from the dead, you have the wrath of God to fear. You do not have fear to fear. You have the wrath of God to fear. As Jesus says in Luke 12, I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body. And after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. If you do not know that God is for you, you must fear him now. Because the worst thing that could happen to you is not to die, but to die after you die. Do you trust God and his deliverance for you? The death of Christ for you, for your sins, the resurrection of Christ for you, Just like David in verse 12, he says, I will make my thank offerings to you for you rescued me from death. God rescued us from death. David was delivered from a death sentence in Gath, but you and I, we have been delivered from an eternal death sentence. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. And that alone squelches all of our fears. What can mere mortals do to me? So what? You insult me? Okay. Even when church fathers are being burned at the stake for their commitment to God, they would say, well, we're going to take your life. You can't take it. It belongs to God. Well, you'll be punished forever now in hell. No, I won't be. Christ died for me and rose again. 
What can mere mortals do to us? What earthly thing could spoil my eternal joy? They can do a lot to us in the short term. They can steal us, steal from us. They can hurt us. Our own bodies can betray us. But nothing and no one can erode the all-powerful God's promises to you. One day Jesus will return and we will rise with him and fear will be gone. And the one who preaches fear on the earth, he will run in fear. We have been rescued from death, so trust God. You know, sometimes people fear. The people's two greatest fears are either death or public speaking. Some people would rather be in the casket than give the eulogy. But just like Johnny Cash would sing, when I hear that trumpet sound, I'm going to rise right out of the ground. Ain't no grave can hold my body down. Well, look way down the river, and what do you think I see? I see a band of angels, and they're coming after me. Ain't no grave can hold my body down. Well, meet me, Jesus, meet me. Meet me in the middle of the air. Ain't no grave can hold my body down. This I know. God is for me. Beloved, lamenting is not the complaint hotline. It's a confession of trust, of hope in the rubble of life. And God, I trust. I will not be afraid. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we have many fears. We should take a second now, church, and confess our fears to the Lord. Confess them now. No matter how silly they may seem, how serious, God cares for you. He has your tears in his bottle. Health, job, family, reputation, sickness, Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.